0: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with
1: your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Zach, it's almost the uh, the end of school and the beginning of summer. I know you're excited. Oh yeah, this that. is
0: um, every teacher's delight and every parent's fear. Is like what? <laughs> What are we gonna do yeah. with the kids for three months yeah. now until school starts again in August? But I know teachers are like, yeah, woo, we get a break for kids for three yeah, three months. Um, good. It's it's good though. I think we are. You know, I'm excited for next year. More of my kids will be in school. Yeah, we're excited for that. So summer, we've planned some trips and activities. And good. I think if you have for my, I don't know for everyone's family, but my kids, that even having a schedule at home of hey, we do this. We have reading time. We have mm-hmm. outside time. We have Craft time and the kids really thrive in that structure and schedule. And, How about budgeting time, yeah, you almost know, there. You know, my core finance. Yeah, training. they're getting into. They do good yard work, mm-hmm. and this past weekend they did a spring sale, and they made. Well, I didn't see what the profit was because we spent money getting all this stuff, but they at least netted yeah. $200. Nice. Not netted, but the revenue was $200.
1: Nice. And if you put that in a Roth IRA, and yeah, you right. there down we go. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's earned income, right? That's right. right John? Yeah, yeah well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. That's great. But though. they had fun
0: doing that, so we're looking forward to more things like that during the summer. Summer, summer. Yep. good
1: memories for me. I just, you yep. know, I grew up in this area, and, just good times. we got basketball playoffs coming down to the end of it. Four yeah. teams left. you got a favorite? I you mean, know, you're...
0: I was pulling – the Heat are my favorite right okay. now, largely because – They're number eight seed. Yeah. They're number eight seed, and I went to school with, with Jimmy Butler. So I okay. was there at Marquette. Mm-hmm. Can when you get us tickets? G- Jimmy was there. To Marquette? No, to the finals. <laughs> no, I'm not that close with him. Okay. I'm, I shook his hand twice. Okay. That's it. Well, maybe he's listening to our podcast out there. Jimmy, if you're listening, be. yeah, contact Zach. Yeah, yeah. So that I'm pulling for them because it's fun to see him do well. Yeah. Um, and then my, uh, let's see. But I, I picked, like, we my son and I made a bracket. I picked the Celtics to win it all. Okay. So yeah.
1: they'll be in the, well, we'll they're see. They're playing the
0: Heat. So we'll see. Yeah. But anyway, it's fun. My, me and my son uh, enjoy watching it together. So. You're not betting, are you? you no. Well, okay. no, no, no. My, just, just my chores. S- no, not, not, no. I'm not betting on it. No. <laughs>
1: okay. Just kidding <laughs> with you. Well, very good. Well, we've got a great show lined up today. We've got two, uh, two really interesting articles. Um, Zach's going to start off with what really matters
0: yeah you know it's it's a good article i'll get into it uh, when we talk about it but um it is by um kind of a, a, a investment expert howard marks he he's been in the business for 50 years and he just talks about what matters what actually matters when when it comes to investing so
1: yeah good good topic and then also we're going to talk about naming beneficiaries to your accounts yep so important we've had um some some situations that have been challenging and um, we'll go into some detail on it but that is the beneficiaries are the most powerful tool that you can use to control your money, or one of the most powerful ones. It, it actually supersedes uh, trust and, and wills yeah. and probate. And it's pretty amazing. It is. It is very very efficient. So if you leave it to your estate, um, becomes very very complicated. So yep. we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in more detail in a minute. And uh, by the way, I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance. I'm also a Dave Ramsey certified coach, and I have over 30 years of experience in planning for both corporations and individuals.
0: And my name is Zach Albanese. I've been in the industry for uh, over three years. I've been here at Richard Young for a little over two. Yep. And I'm a certified financial planner. Yeah, you passed it. That's right, man. <laughs> That's, That's right. awesome. Then, yeah. yeah, it feels like 10 years ago. Yeah. But it's That's really like... just been a month and a half. So, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Man. We're proud of you, man. Yeah.
1: So we're glad to have you listening to us today. We have the, uh, the podcast up every uh, Friday morning. Uh, You can also, you know, you can go to our website. That's where a lot of people listen to it, um, or moneymd.net. It has a lot of other information out there as well. Um, So check us out. We have some good tools out there as well. And we're going to start off today
0: with the financial fact of the week. Yeah. So the financial fact uh, this week is that Americans are more worried about the money they've put in banks now than they were during the 2008 financial crisis. Nearly Mm -hmm. half, 48% of U.S. adults said they were concerned about the safety of their money deposited in banks compared to 45% after the bankruptcy of uh, Lehman Brothers, according to a Gallup poll from uh, last month. And this survey was taken before Mm. the collapse of First Republic Bank that just happened in the beginning of May. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What do you what do you make of that? Yeah. Interesting.
1: I I, uh, started in 2007. So I remember those (laughs) conversations back in 2008 and things were failing. And you know the FDIC insurance was was coming up a lot, and it's it's just really strange. Fifteen years later, we're having the same conversation. So you know, most banks have FDIC insurance, yep. up to two hundred fifty thousand per individual. So if you have a joint uh, savings account, it's up to five hundred thousand. And uh, if you have more than that, maybe put it in two banks. So um, what we've seen, even with um, these large banks that have failed, the FDIC is coming in and covering all investors. So right. You know, if there was a massive, you know, bank collapse, then they wouldn't be able to do that for everybody. But uh, I, the, right. the chances are very, very minimal. So make sure you you have that FDIC insurance, um, you know, coverage up to the amount of cash that you have, and then go to another bank if you have more than
0: that. Yeah, it's almost like um, banks took took that for maybe not for granted is the right way, but they didn't realize the seriousness yeah. of um, helping. Yeah. You know, making sure their clients were. Yeah, not doing that. I, yeah. don't, you know, it's it is a strange thing, and hopefully, it's these few cases, and this doesn't I, blow out of proportion. I don't think it.
1: it's going to be contagion, but it is yeah. interesting because a couple of the um, the CEOs and CFOs of these companies are on Capitol Hill this week explaining yeah. what happened, and they they mismanaged that. Oh, and, sure, and it yeah, was, it's
0: clear mismanagement. It was yeah.
1: uh, 101 about um, you know matching up your your deposits and your your assets together, and they did not do that. And yeah, it's like they got it's a shame
0: got lazy, and I'm assuming yeah. that from this. There's going to be new regulations no and, and new practices that will help stave this off in the future. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting time and a very interesting fact.
1: Yes, very so, good.
0: And we're going to switch
1: gears here and talk about what really matters.
0: Yeah. So, Zach, tell us. It, I'm going to. Is tell this a you, life
1: lesson? It or is. Or it's an just investing the
0: meaning lesson. of life, right here, John. You ready? Let's go. Let's. We got two hours. Yeah. Is that what we have? Okay. We have 25 Perfect. minutes left. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so again, this this is a memo from Howard Marks he i think he doesn't work there anymore but he sits on a board of the uh, oak tree capital management again he's been doing investment management for 50 plus years and john you know i've been wanting to share this i think his podcast came out in the fall and so i've been wanting to share this for a while it was like i said it's a podcast and then i looked it up and it was 15 pages long Mm. and i'm like well we don't have time for that so it (laughs) took me a while to distill those 15 pages into three to talk about it today to rewrite it and uh But today's the day, John. Today is the day we get to talk about this podcast. What really matters, and what I like about this is that he hones on, you know, what what matters for investors. What really does matter, and he makes his first point concisely and confidently by talking about what doesn't matter, Mm. Uh, and what doesn't matter. And Marx points this out is short-term events. Mm. And what's funny about this, though, is the is we tend to think the only thing that matters is short-term events. Um, nothing gets us riled up more than what's going on in the short term. And we see it now, right? We see with bank stuff and inflation and all these things. These things rile us up. We saw this last year. We saw this the year before coming out of COVID and obviously the year before that with COVID. But in the spectrum of being a prudent investor, short-term events just don't matter, especially if you're engaging in good financial planning.
1: Yeah, that's right. And Marx talks about certain questions he was most frequently asked by his clients. And uh, which all sounds very familiar to us, things like how bad will inflation get and and how much will the Fed rate uh, raise the interest rates um, to fight inflation and will that increase, you know, recession and how bad and how long. And the bottom line is, is that most investors, you know, and no one can consistently predict the short-term phenomena. And there's always going to be short-term yep. issues in front of the market. That's just the way our world works. And and even if, you know, someone was to, to call it right, the likelihood of calling several um, is is near impossible, and there's really two decisions you have to get right. You have to get it right now, and then when do you get That's back right. in? Yeah. and we've never seen anybody time it correctly. It's just it's impossible to do. So don't let your emotions get the the best out of you.
0: Yeah, yeah, and this uh, you know he uses this example in his in, in the podcast. He says in re- in response to the first tremors of the global financial crisis, the Federal Reserve began to cut the Fed funds rate near the end of 20, or 2007. Then they lowered it to zero around the end of 2008 and left it there for seven years. And in late 2015, virtually the only question he received at that time was, well, when will the first rate increase occur? And he's, his answer was always the same. Why, why do you care? If I say February, what will you do? And if I later change my mind to say May, what will you do differently? If everyone knows rates are about to rise, what difference does it make which month that mm. process starts? No one ever offered him a convincing answer. He said... Investors probably think asking such questions is part of behaving professionally, but they never could explain why. And so I think the when something happens this month, next month, these short-term events, it, it just doesn't matter. And he says really nonchalantly, kind of, like, stop worrying about them, at yeah. least when it comes to market performance, largely because of one reason, it's very difficult to know which expectations regarding events are already incorporated into the security prices And all of this can lead to wild rides in the short term for the stock market. So what's to account for this? And Marx states, the ups and downs in the short term are more influenced by investor psychology Mm. than by changes in companies' (sighs) long-term prospects because swings in psychology matter more in the near term than changes in fundamentals and are so hard to predict. Most short-term trading and reacting is just a waste of time or, he says, even worse.
1: Yeah, I think when you look at like the short term, and the way I look at this is when there's an event like the, the Russia uh, invasion or or um, the pandemic or inflation, what we're going through now, you know, if the short term drops. And it is, I, yep. I agree with that on emotions. And there are people saying, hey, this is going to impact the earnings this year. But, you know, the stock price is based on future cash flows. That's right. Out in five years and 10 years and 20 years and 30 years. And so you have to ask yourself, all right, is this event going to impact Google's earnings in seven years from now? Yep. Probably not, right? So the right. fact that it has gone down so much probably means it's a good time to buy Google and IBM and Walmart and, you know, the whole list of companies. So totally agree with that. It's a it's an emotional, there's a lot of emotions built into the market. And, um, you know, it's frustrating for folks. I mean, we're going through a very challenging time in the markets. It's been, you know, a year and a half to two years in, in a flat to down market. And sometimes yeah. it takes patience. And so um, you For know, sure. it, these are short-term events that will go away.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um, and so the second thing Marks notes that doesn't matter is trading mentality. He says that most people don't think of their equity portfolio as having ownership, but rather as something to trade. And he cites Warren Buffett, which is usually a, a safe thing to cite. He's a pretty smart guy. Yeah, he's, he's smart. And he states that stocks should be thought of as ownership interests in companies. Think of yourself as an owner or a partner. When you have the mentality of a trader, you know, thinking more short-term, you're thinking more like a gambler or a speculator rather than an owner, which often produces um, unpleasant, unpleasant results. And so with this mentality, each time you you trade or try and time the market or sell, one side is right hmm. and one side is wrong. I think this is really helpful. Mm-hmm. If you think you know what you're doing, that means the other person doesn't the person you're selling to. So one side is right, one side is wrong. And if it's right, um, if you think you're right more often than the other person on the other side of the trade, I mean, how consistent can you be if you think you're timing things correctly? So he focuses on trading mentality um, and how not to be so flippant about entering and exiting, but rather think of it as yeah. ownership. Like, the I like
1: term. that. That's a powerful concept. Yeah. If you think you own part of IBM and Google exactly. and Walmart... It's a long-term type deal, and in the short-term event we're going through now, whether it's inflation or even wars, um, they do work themselves out, and they fix themselves one way or another, and earnings continue in the future. So I like the ownership yeah. mentality. That's good.
0: All right, third thing that doesn't matter, short-term performance. Oh, we talked about short-term yeah. events, Yep. Yep. but now Marx is getting at performance. So, John, why the short term performance not matter
1: it can it can be highly misleading obviously so when we do analysis you know we we look at long time periods because short term you know there's there's there are variations in emerging markets versus us versus small yep. stocks so look out 20 30 40 sometimes even 50 year performance to kind of get an idea over many different types of markets how an asset class Performs. And there are there are seasons when random events can impact returns, positively or negatively, right. for a quarter or a year. Um, but don't chase that. I mean, we want to position you know, ourselves in a way that we're looking at larger macro trends that outlast you know, these sudden spikes in performance. We've seen that in Bitcoin, right? Yep. I mean, oh, yeah. That's a great example. That's a very good example. Um, the analogy Marks uses is that of a baseball player deciding whether performance is good or bad is not based on one year of data, Um, you know, it's like forming an opinion on one trip to the, to the plate. You've got to have years looking at that. And most companies and firms, they want to focus on the short-term performance, um, because they gather it's what people want, but it's usually meaningless in the long-term. So, um, you know what else, um, does not matter? What? Um, you tell me that was a question for you.
0: Oh, volatility. You got it. There you go. You got the answer in front yeah, of you there. Yeah, I, I really liked his perspective on I volatility.
1: I, I like the short-term performance though as well because people yeah. get really caught up they do. in a window.
0: They do. They, they see the window. Yeah, they yeah. want to know what... And it's and, and when we're in meetings too with, with clients, it's it's almost like the most important thing. Yeah. But we always try and pull them back, look at the big picture, seeing where, what are the what's happened over three years, five years, ten years. Because, yeah, you go through a down market like we've had... And it can it can feel scary. But then we pull back and see that what happened in the last three, five years. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Okay, that looks a little normal normal.
1: And you're on track for retirement. That's right. Per the plan. Exactly.
0: Right? And so this next point that Marks gets into about volatility is we tend to get all torn up about the ups and downs of the market. But what's funny is yeah, that it just the ups and downs do not matter, especially if you're doing good planning and have your income needs adjusted for. And Marx, what he says about volatility is interesting because I've always thought about volatility as risk. But Marx says volatility is not risk, which I think we often um, use these two words interchangeably. He says volatility is not risk and defines risk instead as the probability of a bad outcome. He says volatility is at best the indicator of the presence of risk. I think that's a, a, Hmm. a unique distinction. It's Volatility is an indicator of the presence of risk, but it's not risk. And I think he's critical of volatility because it's a, real, it's, it's a short-term indicator of risk. And he's more concerned with long-term indicators of risk. And so volatility, the ups and downs of the market, doesn't necessarily equate to risk because it's short-term, where risk for him would be something that affects the long-term. Because if you think about it, yeah, big companies like yeah, Apple and Google – they're, they're experiencing volatility. Does that really... I think you said this to me. I don't know if you said this to me on the podcast or earlier. That's what happens when you have four kids. <laughs> but you you know does that really change the overall... Does the Fed raising yeah. rates by a quarter point really change their long-term picture? Yeah, you it know, does not. It does not. <clears throat> and so volatility is a measure of the short term. But anyway, I don't know what you thought about that. I thought it was an interesting take, especially when he said... Volatility is not risk, but an indicator of the presence of risk.
1: Yeah, that's that's unusual. That's a great way to put it because volatility is, is inherent in the market. Uh, we look at the the, the the big stat, big picture is 75% of the, the markets are up the years, mm-hmm. 25% of they're down. So there's volatility buried in there, but the markets have averaged about 10% historically. Right. Now, we know past performance is not a guarantee of future results. We get that. Absolutely. But um, yes, stay away from the vol- volatility piece of it um, just because it can... We have people that watch us daily, and it'll drive you crazy. Yeah. It really will.
0: And, and his next point about volatility yeah. is really good, too. He says, it's essential to recognize that protection from volatility generally isn't a free good. Reducing volatility for its own sake is sub uh, is a sub-optimizing strategy. It should be presumed that favoring lower volatility assets and approaches will, all things being equal, lead to lower returns. If you have your focus set on the long term, which you should, volatility will lose its clout fangs will not be as sharp, and it will quickly become less of a concern for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, he has a famous quote, Buffett does, and he says, we prefer a lumpy 15% return to a smooth 12% return. And investors who would rather have the reverse, um, than they find the smooth 12% preferable to the lumpy 15%, should ask themselves, whether their aversion to volatility is mostly financial or is it emotional?
0: Yeah, getting back to the emotional. And we yeah. know
1: it's emotional. So uh, overall, what Marx is getting at is people give volatility far more importance than they should. And he uses a saying from what he, um, when he was young to illustrate this, this prudent investment principle. He says when he was young and he was a boy, um, there was a popular saying, don't just sit there, do something. But for investing, I'd invert it. Don't just do something, sit there. Yeah. So don't be emotional with your money. And we see this coming back and and hurting people many times. We saw it particularly during the pandemic, um, quite a bit during the pandemic. And I mean, that was a very unusual event. A lot of volatility. Oh, yeah. Turned out to be very short term. And 2020 was a remarkable year in the market. So, (laughs) I mean, obviously, from a society standpoint, it was a horrible year. Stock market doesn't work that way. Um, No, yeah, yeah. So you gotta you gotta make sure that you're focused on that long term. I I keep hearing that theme in here because short term, if you start making decisions, short term is gonna hurt
0: you. Yeah, and obviously, you know, now you know we're gonna talk about kind of wrap this up. We're gonna talk about what does matter, right? We've talked a lot about what doesn't matter. So what does matter? And you're absolutely right. You know, Marx has so far critiqued short term thinking. So obviously, what matters to him and and to us is the long term. What matters is performance over five years, ten years, twenty years, and beyond. And depending on your time frame, which you have. What matters is not volatility, but whether you can stomach short-term declines in exchange for greater returns over the long term. And we, and we talk about that with every new client that we, that we engage with is, mm-hmm. can you stomach these short terms or not? And that, that helps us determine your risk profile. What matters is your overall risk posture and not how you're feeling in a particular moment. It's not good to make changes during market lows or even market highs for that matter. You wanna figure out kind of who you are as an investor when things are quiet. You want to ask yourself questions: Did I like that last period or not? Can I stomach that last period? So determine that for the long term. That does matter. These are things that does that do matter. Um, yeah. What else? What else matters?
1: The wonder of compounding. The wonder of the compounding. Eight, really does matter. Yeah, It really is amazing. And when you talk about annualized returns, um, you know, it's it's an amazing uh, process of what you. What you get if you keep it invested? If you look at the stock market, is it's made about ten percent a year since nineteen twenty six. This would turn one dollar into thirteen thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? When you think about how yeah, many. in less than
0: a hundred years. I yeah, mean, what it, what percent is that? Yeah, it's, I, mean, it's, I should have done the math on that. I mean, it's a yeah, lot.
1: It's yeah, it's it's crazy. I don't <laughs> know if you could even come up with that one, but you know, then that's if you think about it: sixteen recessions, one great Dep- depression, world wars, global pandemics. Geopolitical turmoil. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of volatility in that. And if you stayed invested, properly diversified, um, you know, you grew wealth. And we hear sometimes people saying, "Well, I'm I'm retiring in two years, and I don't have a long time frame." Well, if you start looking at your retirement going out into your 80s and 90s, and then your kids right. or your grandkids inheriting the money, yeah, it changes the the equation a little bit.
0: That's right. Yeah, and your income needs. And if you don't have a lot of income needs, yeah, you then you're thinking more about. Your children, or your grandchildren, or just the legacy you want to build, or instead of simply providing for your needs. So I think these questions are, you know, more complex than just simply your time frame, especially if your income needs are um, you're satisfied. So, sure. anyway, I thought good discussion. It was good. To think about what matters when it comes to the markets to hopefully calm emotions, especially during this season. It is hard, um, but to think. Big picture. I think the other, in, in the big picture is in
1: the plan. You got to have a plan.
0: Absolutely, you need a plan.
1: <clears throat> Our plans yep. have negative years built in. It's part of the process. It is. So yep. don't let those short-term emotions get a hold of you. So. That's right. All right, we're going to switch gears and do the question of the week. And um, the question is: Is when can I give money from my IRA? to charities. That's known as a QCD, Qualified Charitable Distribution. You can actually do it when you turn 70 and a half. That's right. You can start giving money out of your IRA account. So instead of writing a check out of your checking account, which is after-tax money, it's better to give pre-tax money. That's right. right. So the charity doesn't care (laughs) which one they get. Um, but uh, Uncle Sam does because Uncle Sam is not going to collect out of your IRA if you give it directly to a charity. Yeah. Obviously, at seventy three, you're required required minimum distribution. And that's where it really
0: becomes effective because yeah. even though you're required, you can QCD that to a charity. Yes. And that satisfies the requirement. That's right. And you're giving your uh, you know your money away to to a charity you support. So yeah. So yeah.
1: And a half is the earliest that you can do that.
0: Earliest you can do that. Yes, but RMDs are seventy three. That's right. That's all right. right. Well, we got all these rules out there, so and they rules. change them like every year. I know. So, I just so, yeah. yeah make anyway. our job difficult. So. It really does. Yeah. And
1: we're gonna switch gears again and talk about um, beneficiaries on your IRA, and don't name your estate. Uh, we'll just go ahead and tell <laughs> yeah. you that's the answer. <laughs> that's we can it. we can drop the mic all and right. just walk off. <laughs> don't do it. It may sound like it makes sense, um, and it might be easier than picking a person. We do see people that struggle sometimes of putting um the right beneficiary on there, but we strongly recommend you put something. Um, you know, we've had some some um some clients that have done that in the past and we've encouraged them to put beneficiaries on there and they have not. And basically what happens is um the IRS says if you have the estate as your beneficiary, then the they're gonna determine who gets the money. Mm-hmm. The government is gonna say yeah, here's the order, and here's the issue with that. Um, it first goes to the parents, and if the parents aren't alive, it then goes to the kids. And so here's a situation that can be a problem. What if, you have, say you have three kids, let's say if one kid has already received their inher- inheritance, mm-hmm. maybe they got a loan or something like that, or one, you know one child didn't, the parents didn't want them to get it for whatever reason, it doesn't matter if you don't have that spelled out because if it goes to the estate, um, the IRS is going to make that money, go to the three kids. They're just going to, there's no choice. So, you know, it just gets really, um, in certain situations, very, very difficult. So, you know, a lot of times we, we see people putting the estate named as a beneficiary just because of a lack of knowledge, um, Mm -hmm. or it's done in haste or they just don't, they'll say we'll do it later. Um, the problem is later is sometimes too late um, because people never get around to reviewing their beneficiary forms. So um, the SECURE Act, which was done recently, uh, eliminated what's called the stretch IRA for most beneficiaries. Right. And they replaced it with a very complicated set of rules for very distributions. Complicated. Yep. <laughs> yeah. These rules uh, used, used to allow you to take distributions over your life expectancy per an IRS table. However, there's now a, n- a new 10-year rule that will yeah. apply, right? So you have to take it out within 10 years if you're not um, one of these designated beneficiaries. And this means that most beneficiaries will have to take it out by the end of the 10th year following the, the date of death. Um, but there are some exclusions here.
0: Yeah, see, the only, the only people that can still stretch out IRA distributions over the life tables, or over, their, over their life tables include surviving spouses, disabled individuals who meet a very strict definition of disability, chronically ill individuals minor children but only into the age majority and then they have the 10-year rule that you were talking about and then individuals within 10 years of age of the original owner yeah so those are those are the only exceptions yep
1: that's right so here's the problem with naming your estate i just mentioned one a minute but if, if most people are going to use the 10-year rule Then why can't you just use your name? uh, You know, just name your estate as the beneficiary. And for starters, estates don't—they are not allowed to use the ten-year rule. They're required to distribute Distribute, the funds under five years. Yeah. All right. And so, why why is that important? Well, if it goes to one person, that means they're going to have two hundred thousand dollars on a million-dollar IRA every year, which is going to throw them in a higher tax bracket. Right. you know, you're going to pay more taxes to Uncle Sam versus spreading it out yeah, over 10 over years. 10, yeah. So the unwanted consequences include higher, higher taxes because of the shorter timeline. The higher payments can lead to higher Medicare charges. Um, there's income limits on that. It has the potential for making Social Security payments um, subject to tax. Um, there's creditor invasion. Assets left directly to a named beneficiary have good to great chances of being protected against creditors, and assets in your estate don't. So those are a couple on, we've got a couple more here. Yeah. uh,
0: A couple more here are higher estate administration costs, probate fees, legal fees. You know, these can also increase when the estate is named as the beneficiary. Um, And then lastly, the increased potential for challenge from Mm. a disgruntled heir. You know, challenges to a will could be more likely to be successful than a directly named beneficiary. And that does happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Yeah, those things increase and so you know i understand naming your estate you know can be the the path of least resistance but it, as you can see it, pr- it really has a lot of potential consequences and it really far outweighs uh, the time savings so, yeah, i don't
1: i don't know if there's a, a positive there's um no. no I mean usually there's a like a you know one positive and a whole bunch of negatives the, the positive
0: not, is just it's just easy as you say put it into my estate yeah well it's yeah, that's that's right. it. it's easy it's easy but you, it's not Effective, it's not not for the
1: family. It's going to cause no, issues down the road. Issues, so, so, so what to do instead? I mean, you got to take time, think through your beneficiaries. Again, beneficiaries um, uh, are, are more powerful than a will. Um, they're more powerful than a trust, um, and it doesn't go through probate. So, a good estate plan has beneficiaries on checking accounts, savings accounts, investment accounts, four hundred one k accounts. If you put a primary and you put contingent beneficiaries on there, that is a great way to set up an estate plan. And the most important thing is to, to make sure you have those beneficiaries in place and reviewed and um, then do it periodically. There's changes, mm-hmm. you know, blended families. Um, there's a lot of things that happen. Someone passes away. You want to make sure those are updated. So make that a um, something that you do annually, just go back and check. It, it does take a little bit of work mm-hmm. to do it, but it simplifies. And it actually is a, um, it, it shows, um, you know, care towards the the people that are going to inherit it. Yeah, it someone it is going to have to fix it. <laughs> oh yeah, someone has to take um, ownership of that when you pass away. If you have your estate on there, and it, I'm telling you, it is months and months and months, and it's very expensive to have your estate. So, yeah,
0: and generally, if you do the due diligence now, it it sets it up not just for your your heirs, but their heirs as well. I mean, it really sets a pattern of just yes simplicity forever. Yeah, and that's important. That's that's powerful. Thanks, John. Yep. And then we got the prescription of the week. We do. And the prescription this week is, drum roll. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have anything to do drum roll. No. So do imagine a drum roll in your head right now. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> the uh, the uh, The prescription this week is: we want you to focus on planning and not predicting. And actually, goes really well with the article that we read by Howard Marks. What What really matters planning matters and not predicting because when you predict yeah again even if you predict one thing right you feel good You're like i, I made that call but getting more than one right is is yeah. near impossible and you mentioned john getting to any any trade you need to get it right twice mm-hmm. you need to get out and then enter in at the right time and with planning you can just avoid all that stress you really can like you said we plan in our retirement projections we plan for negative years We plan for the bear markets. We plan for unforeseen um, events. We're not looking at short-term events and short-term performance. We're looking at the long-term. And so the good thing about planning over predicting is we plan for the worst and we plan for the best. Mm -hmm. We have plans for income distributions. We have plans, like you're saying, estate planning. We have tax planning that helps your overall picture, whereas predicting and worrying not only causes stress and anxiety, but it ends up hurting your portfolio value. Yeah. So it typically, cost money when people costs money. try to predict. That's right. So yeah. prescription this week, plan. Don't predict. You
1: got this. <laughs> call us if you need help. And that too. That's right. So this has been this week's edition of MoneyMD. Tune in next week on MoneyMD.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check out our website MoneyMD.net. Send us your questions. Give us a call here at Richard Young Associates at seven zero six. Seven three nine zero seven two five. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a great weekend. That's right. Have a good one. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice. None of the
0: information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.